muster up a good old independent Baptist? Well, amen. Man, to God be the glory. This place has reeked of God's glory over the last week, well, actually over many weeks, months and even years, but I don't want to diminish anything else, but all week as people prepared, and uh, then Friday night to see so many lives loved on. But I want you to understand a little of what went on behind the scenes uh, from uh, people taking time out to go pick up golf carts to uh, people that provided clothes and was up here all day uh, fixing tea and warming up chicken nuggets to uh, people that had come and moved tables and chairs and uh, put out pine straw. But then Friday night, before the first buddy got here, before the first king or queen stepped onto the dance floor, uh, almost 240 college and high school students sat in our old sanctuary and heard the gospel. I was bound and determined. Maybe the only opportunity I had with those young men and young ladies. And so I just got impressed on my heart. And I just gave them about an eight-minute sermon on Jesus. And I want you to pray with me that God would quicken that in their hearts, uh, in their fraternity or sorority house, in their dorm, wherever they may be, uh, in the classroom, uh, on the ball field, at their high school. Man, we need a revival. And many times in our great awakenings in America, uh, it has begun on college campuses. And I want you to also pray with me as I'll be leaving first thing in the morning headed to Troop McConnell University. Of course, you all know that's a place very near and dear to my heart. My babies are there. And God ordained that. Dad didn't set that up. Dad was not even there when the golf coach came and scouted my daughter. Uh, it was just a God thing. And now she's graduating, Lord's willing, in May. And Ethan is there along with Tegan uh, and many others. We just had a Statesboro. Uh, Barbara's, uh, I forget, Barbara Benton's some kind of something. Uh, nephew, grandnephew, great-nephew uh, that signed to play baseball at Truett. Well, I'm going to be preaching chapel there Tuesday morning. And so I just want you to pray with me that God would clearly speak and that that college campus not, not revive because I'm something. Uh, I'll be the least that's probably ever stood on stage there to preach a chapel. But God burned a sermon in my heart uh, on that 11-hour flight from Atlanta to Frankfurt, Germany. And uh, in the... Uh, listen, you fly on a German airline, there's not a lot of TV and music to watch or listen to on the plane. The food's even worse, but uh, God spoke to me, and I just want you to pray. I'll be preaching out of Jonah uh, Tuesday. That's all I'm going to say. If I say it out loud, then Satan will know. But if I don't, he won't know because he's not God. And so, uh, Satan, you just you can mess with it all you want, but you don't know where I'm going yet with that. But 
God does, and I pray that God would just speak through it. This morning, I want you to turn back to Nehemiah with me. Nehemiah chapter 2, and for all of you guests, man, I'm glad you're here. You're getting in on the ground floor, and, and you may have home churches. If you don't, you'll miss it. Because last week we introduced the book of Nehemiah, Old Testament Nehemiah, one of the oldest books in, or one of the last books, rather, written during the Old Covenant time, during the Old Testament. It was after the, uh, after Israel had been taken into exile in Babylon, and then Babylon was defeated by the Persians, which we would know that means Iraq was beat by Iran. And so, they had moved there. Well, now we pick up the story where Nehemiah gets word from his own brother that the walls, we knew that he knew the temple had been torn down, but he had gotten word by family that those walls that symbolize God's strength, God's city, God's protection, God's people had been destroyed. And God just began to build a burden in his heart. And so this whole series is a burden to build, a burden that God has placed on. A burden literally means a heavy load or a weight to be carried. But I want you to understand, speaking of dichotomies, yes, it's a heavy load. We'll see some today. But Jesus said that heavy load can be carried when it's carried for Christ. That his yoke is easy, doesn't mean, and his burden is light. It does not mean that it won't be a burden, it just means that he'll lift us up to carry it. That we do not have to carry the law, we carry the cross that he has given us. So this morning I want you to turn to chapter 2, and we'll be begin reading in verse 1. And so last week we talked about his, his burden to pray, and man, Nehemiah poured out his heart. When he heard these things, he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. The book starts with prayer and ends with prayer. But you know, my dad always said sometimes you, or all the times, you got to put legs to your prayers. What dad meant by that and so many others who have said that is we can't just hold up, lock the doors, and we need to pray. Church, listen to me. We need to pray more than ever before. Not less. We don't need more programs. What we need is more prayer. When things get desperate, what do we do? Do we plan another outing? Do we plan another supper? Or do we get on our face and say, God, I need you. We need more prayer. But when we pray, we must trust and go out and do what God has charged us to do. He said in verse 1, and it came to pass in the month, Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and I gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is your countenance sad? Why, why are you so glummy, Gus? Why, why the sad face? What, what, what's, what's eating at you? He said, you're not sick. What's the problem? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very, very afraid. Because you see, he could have been put to death for coming before the king with a sad countenance. 
the king and everyone around the king expected people to come to the king and lift him up, not drag him down. He was the king. And said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, where my father's and their fathers before him are buried, and they lie waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, What, what, are, you, what are you asking? What, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. He didn't say, So I just told him. Before he ever spoke to the king what was inside his heart, he took it back to the Lord again. Today, I want us, as we look at this, and we'll see in this verse where they say, rise up and build. We're looking at the building blocks, and these are symbolic of those blocks. Last week, we had the foundation stones, the, the, the foundation of prayer, of faith. As we pray, we pray in worship, lifting the Lord up. We pray in repentance, God, forgive me, because we can't do anything on our own. We only accomplish kingdom work when it's God doing the work through us. Y'all get that? We just heard it in one of the greatest songs ever written, To God Be the Glory. Truly, he has done great things. Would you agree with that? Men, look over at your wife. Very easy to see. He's done great things for us. You know, look at your children. Look at your spouse. Look at your parents. Look at this whole precious family that come in support of this precious child who gave her life riding down the road. Says, hey, mama, I, I prayed. Well, that's, that's great. You No, 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 I pray. I ask Jesus, forgive me and save me. And then comes and says, and, and listen, I didn't get to talk to her that day or the next day. And Coy and Jamie both sent me a message. Listen, preacher, you're going to have to talk to this child. I mean, listen, she wants every day she wakes up, can I go tell the preacher now? Can I tell the preacher now? She was excited about what the Lord, I'm going to tell you, when God gets a hold of you, you want people to know. And that's where that repentance becomes dependence, knowing that we can do nothing. Our lives, our families, our communities, our churches are built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. We depend on him for everything. Do you realize this morning when you got up, got ready, and you stepped outside your home, you never once stopped and said, well, Rusty may have with a gimp leg. We, we say, we don't ever say leg move, arm move. We just subconsciously believe it's going to happen. We have faith that our body's going to carry us in that direction. When you came to a traffic light, un, uh, unlike popular opinion, the red vehicle driving so fast through town yesterday was not me. It was a truck, a Mustang, a Porsche, a Lamborghini. I've heard it was eight different things in one Facebook post. No wonder y'all police have such a hard time. I mean, it's that, that perspective. Oh, no, it was this. No, I saw it. It was this. No, it can't. Listen, 190 miles an hour, I wouldn't even know whether it was a car or a jet. 
but it wasn't me. I got testimony. I was at home with my wife all day. She, I have an alibi. But today we're going to build on the foundation of prayer with the next blocks of service, a burden to serve. Do you know over 500 people came and served Friday? College students took their Friday nights. And, and we've praised them. But I want to tell you, we had senior adults poured it all out here Friday night serving. We had people who stood outside in the cold and parked cars and drove golf carts, and it was chilly. We had them that did nothing else but cheer on our kings and queens. They were on the red carpet. They came in here. They clapped. They loved. They carried food. They cooked food. They prepared drinks. They did all the things that Jesus said, as much as you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Do you know the Bible says that if you give a cup of cool water in a prophet's name, you'll receive a prophet's reward? There's a lot of prophets around here Friday night. It's building blocks for God's people to do God's work, God's way, in God's time. That's what a burden is. This morning, I, I want to read you a quote from Alan Redpath. In light of a burden to serve, he said, recognition of need must be followed by an earnest, persistent waiting upon God. And we don't like that part, do we? We're like, if we see it, let's do it. It's got to be done, and we go at it like killing snakes. Alan Redpath, having lived a long life, even when he wrote this commentary on Nehemiah, he said, recognition of need must be followed by an earnest, persistent waiting upon God until, until the overwhelming sense of world need becomes a specific burden in my soul for one particular piece of work which God would have me do. Nobody in this room can do it all. Nobody. That's why families are meant to have a father and a mother. One can't do it all and do it well. We've heard of jack of all trades, master of none. When you do everything, you do nothing well. I thank God that we have deacons who serve. They were in the parking lot Friday night. They were back there helping with baptism this morning. They are every time. I know they're going to be there. They'll serve the Lord's Supper, but you don't understand all the little intricate things that they carry every day and care about. They drive the preacher to Savannah and go visit with him. Who goes and visits and encourages the Sunday school teachers who call their class. So I can't call everybody. If you look at the whole picture at one time, it's overwhelming, isn't it? Right? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And it's your bite. It's not everybody else's bite. It's your bite. He said, a specific burden in my soul that God has given me that overwhelms me to the point that this particular piece of work which God has me do, I can do that. You can do what God has called you to do. Rusty and 
and Jennifer have, have that burden to serve in vacation Bible school, and they're all in. They went all the way to Ridgecrest for training. I've already seen materials around. I saw the little yellow things. And, and man, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, we've ever had. I mean, all these crates and cranes and all this cool, heavy equipment and stuff, but seeing that Jesus carries the load. We must recognize a burden to serve. There's four things I want to deal with today. If we're going to carry this, if this is going to be our burden, whatever it is, whether it's working with children, whether it's serving with youth, you know, everybody wants to serve in youth when they get fired up for the Lord until they do stay for one lock-in. <laughs> we need to have one lock-in every year just to separate the wheat from the chaff. Because if you can make it through one and you get up and come back to church on Sunday after a Friday night lock-in, God's in it. God's in it. But everybody's not cut out for that. Some people don't want anything to do with visitation and going and just checking up on this or checking up on that. But somebody does. And we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be honest with God. We've got to be honest with others. We must be prepared to serve. I love that picture, that, that, that scene in the movie Facing the Giants where he goes out and, and they're asking him what he's doing. He said, I'm preparing for rain. If we're going to pray for it, then we ought to be prepared for it. Right? So many times we pray, and when God answers, we're like, wow, I didn't think that was going to happen. Oh, ye of little faith. Now, don't feel overly guilty about it, because listen, the disciples, the apostles, who did great things, who saw great things, Jesus chided them for having very little faith. But at another point, as they began to grow, they asked the Lord to increase their faith. Teach them how to pray. We're all growing. We need to be prepared. We need to be deliberate. We need to mark it, see it, and be deliberate about it, and then we must be dedicated. There's nothing worse. Do you know, you remember if you read the book of Ezra, which is before this, you see the, the, the genealogy basically in leadership at this time was Zerubbabel came back, and he began to reestablish a lot of the, the, the spiritual, spirituality of it, the faith of Israel there. And then Ezra came in as a prophet and he began to reestablish the, the, the temple's uh, laws and things. And they laid the foundation. You remember what they said? This always just astounds me. When they laid the foundation, they blew the trumpets that the foundation of God's house had been laid. The old men wept. And the young men shouted. Even in worship, it was different. But you know what? The old men didn't mock the young men for shouting and the young men didn't mock the old men for weeping. They just did it together. This morning, I want us to start by looking at a burden to serve. Being honest. Being honest. You see, the first thing he tells us in chapter 2 is that we need to be honest with ourselves. Is this my burden? Worry 
anxiousness, things that we like to stay up late at night and wring our hands and, and just make ourselves sick and not eat, and we like to tell everybody how worried we are, or is it the burden that the Lord has for me? Is it my faith or is my faith built on my burden or my burden built on my faith? Now, let, let, me, let me say that again. Is my faith built on my burden or is my burden built on my faith? Which one goes before the other? You've heard the old saying, don't get the cart before the horse. Well, let me give you another one. Don't worry about the mules, just load the wagon. God will take care of the mules. We just need to be obedient and load the wagon. So often we like to look at something and we make it our own when God says, I don't want you anywhere close to that. Even good things. As a young preacher, when God overwhelmed my heart and I finally was obedient to God's call in my life, I felt like I, I wanted to be in the church all the time and I ended up on every committee but the WMU, and they wouldn't let me serve with the women. If they would have let me, I would have. I was on building grounds. I was on executive committee. I was on administration committee. I was on committee of committees and nominating and all this other stuff. And I taught Sunday school, and I worked with the youth. I was just 19, and I was the RA director. And after about six months of that, I was making a mess out of all of it. And one of those rare occasions I listened, God says, I didn't tell you to do all this stuff. What I told you to do is be the RA director. And I went to the pastor and I said, I'm making a mess of this. I, I've been in construction, so I thought I was supposed to be on the building grounds committee. I'm quitting that. And I've never been one to quit. If you start something, finish it. I believe in that. Unless you start something God had no business you being in. Then you need to quit it. And the sooner, the better. And when we did, our race doubled. And boys were being saved on Wednesday nights. And lives began to change. Because of me? No! But because I was where God wanted me to be. Stop with this idea of building your own burden. God has a burden for you that's built on the faith in Jesus Christ. You see, am I looking back at Christ as my motivation? Or am I looking forward in worry and dread? When we look ahead and we say, oh, what are we going to do? Man, we got all these chairs we have to pick up, take down, and we have to keep moving all this stuff. We have to do these other things, and we have to change all this out there. Well, yeah, we need to be aware of that. And we need to notice those needs, but that should not be what drives us. It ought to be looking back at whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord. Everything we have is because of Him. And when we get the cart and the horse lined up the right way, listen, it'll pull the load. When we put Jesus first and foremost over anything and everything, when we look back at what Jesus did, boy, the light become the weight becomes lighter. You see, acceptance of burden brings open doors. 
When you sit down, when you come to the altar like many did last week, when you write on this box, one of these three, you'll write on it a burden to serve here. And you write what God has burdened you, a burden for neighbors, a burden for family members, a burden for the lost, a burden for children, a burden for youth, a burden for music, a burden for Claxton, a burden for our country, a burden for our military. Whatever it is, don't write it unless God tells you to write it. But if God tells you to write it, write it big, write it strong, and write it proud. And when you accept that burden, be ready. God's going to open doors. If God's called you to it, he's going to lead you through it. He called them to the Red Sea, and what did they do? They all panicked. Didn't they? Oh, you brought us out here. We could have stayed. We could have still been eating cucumbers and leeks and all that. Yeah, and still locked up. Still slaves. Isn't it amazing the stuff we settle for? Because we can't see tomorrow. I get it. You know what fear is driven by? Fear is driven by one thing. The unknown. We, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know if I come and shake the preacher's hand, he may call on me to pray. Well, number one, I can tell you, I won't call on you to pray openly unless I know that you're okay with it because I don't want to be embarrassed. Don't tell me to hold somebody's hand. I just, I, I don't like it. I'm a germaphobe. I, I, you know... If you say, hold your wife's hand, I'm all about that now. But all this reach across, and you say, well, good Lord, what kind of Christian are you? I'm the kind that don't like to hold other people's hands. That's, that's the kind I am. But you have your likes and dislikes. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But what I do want to do is encourage you to be honest, and when you accept, God, this is what you want for my life, then expect God to use you in it. So many of you have taken spiritual gifts inventories and God, you read it and you know it didn't take that. God has clearly told you what you ought to be doing and you're not doing it. Can I tell you, you are out of the will of God. You are the prodigal. You are living in rebellion. You can keep trying to smooth it over. You can go home today and say, oh, that was a good message, but never intend to go back to church unless somebody else gets baptized or something else happens, and you live your life in open rebellion against God, but you tell everybody, I believe the Bible and I believe in Jesus. Well, if you do, it's a shame and disgrace that you don't love him enough, number one, to worship him, number two, to serve him. We've got to be honest with ourselves. And then we've got to be honest with God. Ask him his will for you. Just ask him. People say, how do you know when God's talking to you? You ready? It's a deep theological answer. I mean, this is the kind of answer you need. You got something to write with? You need to write this down. You ready? I mean, this is splendiferous. This is going to blow your mind. Look it up. That's a real word. I looked it up. You don't know how you know when God's speaking to you. If you're a believer, you'll know. Good grief, preacher. 
I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says if you belong to him, then he knows you by name and you will know his voice. Is that not what he said in John? And did he not tell us, did he not tell us that not only will we know his voice, but he told the church at Corinth, I am not the author of confusion. Jesus does not dangle a carrot. He doesn't dangle a dollar at the end of a big offshore fishing line. Oh, you almost got it. You almost got it. Jesus don't toy with us. He has a purpose and plan. And I want you to get this. Jesus really, really does love you. You say, you don't know what I've done. I don't have to. I know what he did. God left heaven and died on a cross for you. Don't tell me Jesus can't love you. That's an arrogant, self-serving motivation to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. Because in your heart of hearts, you know Jesus loves you. It's like being a kid. Y'all just hate me. You want... Why? Because we didn't buy you AirPods? You know? Really? Deal with it, parents. You said the same thing over something stupid and probably a lot less expensive back in those days. You won't buy me a motorcycle. You hate me. No, they really, they knew me. They loved me. We need to be honest with ourselves, honest with God. Ask Him what His will is for you. Tell Him your questions, doubts, your heart. Tell Him. Nehemiah owned it. He owned it. When God quickened it, when His brother brought it, it tweaked His heart. It did, you know, people bring me stuff all the time. I'm a pastor. We get, we get requests all the time. I just got some emails recently from a ministry uh, in some part of Africa, Liberia, I believe, and I think it's a great, honest, godly work. But that's not where my burden and what I believe the burden for our church is right now. Ours is in Solala, Guatemala. That's our Acts 1-8, uttermost part of the earth right now. Besides Lottie Moon, that we give that money. Now, Lottie's dead. But the offering's entitled Lottie Moon. She's really not dead. Her body did, but she's with the Lord. Just want to clarify so somebody will come up afterwards. There's always fact checkers. Lottie's not dead. I thought you said all believers are alive. Well, you said that Lottie, Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. But our specific is there. Our Jerusalem Judea is right here right here on Saturdays and Monday nights with basketball. It's in vacation Bible school and, and D-Nows and youth summer camp. That's ours reaching out to those who are less fortunate through benevolent needs and other things like that, through wild game suppers and ladies' ministries. Listen, that is our world view and our burden. We need to talk to the Lord and ask him, because listen, our primary purpose is not the needs of others, but God's command. Hear what I just said? That's biblical. Now I know, because Paul told the church at Rome, I beseech you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, 
and acceptable unto who? Unto God. And that it's just a reasonable request. It's nothing above what you can give or what you can do. It's your reasonable service. We are to do it before the Lord. We're to study the Word of God that we be approved to God, not the world. When we put God first, God will empower us with a burden to reach those in need. But the need, once again, doesn't trump God. Because let me tell you what happens when it does. We become social justice warriors and we start bailing out people and entities that God's trying to get their attention. Listen, mamas and daddies, if you ran and picked them up, every time they fell off the bike, they'd never learn to ride it. And if you rescue them in everything and it's always the teacher's fault and it's always the police's fault, then don't be surprised when it's their wife or their husband's fault and they can't stay married and they can't keep a job. It's just the truth. It's a painful truth, but it's truth nonetheless. That we need to understand. Listen, when God gives us a clear burden, do it. But if God hasn't, we may be getting in the way of God's chastisement. That God's trying to get their attention. That's why they're going through what they went through. When I was being called to preach and I was running in rebellion to God, everywhere I turned, I got a ticket. Be my, I mean everywhere I turned, I got a ticket. And I mean, it wasn't racing. It was just, I'd be running late for work. I'd get stopped. I'd be delivering auto parts and coming out of Atlanta running with traffic. And out of eight people, I was the one that got the ticket. Now, I didn't realize it till later, but it was because God was hedging me in. He kept hedging me in, hedging me in to get my eyes off of self because all I studied was cars, racing. I even gave God, hey, God, okay, I'll do it. I'll be a chaplain at the racetrack. I did, I said that. God said, I didn't say nothing about racing. God wasn't happy until I said, God, whatever you want, here it is. The last ticket I got, I was headed east on I-20, came over the hill, headed down to Six Flags Drive. I had to get off, deliver some things for the company I worked for, some Christmas gifts. It was the week before Christmas. And as I got off at the Six Flags exit, pulled up to the end of the exit ramp, stopped, looked to my left. That's one thing. I never run stop signs. I just didn't. I still don't. I, it just, that's where you get killed. And so, if you see me running fast, probably so. But not the running stops. So I pulled up, turned right, turned back left on the seat, pulled down. And all of a sudden I look up, Cobb County's finest is behind me. And at that moment, in about 1.7 seconds, I knew my world was fixing to utterly collapse. I pulled over. He come up, got my information. He said, well, you know why I stopped you? And I said, no, sir, I really, really don't. I was in a company vehicle. You know, I knew the tags there. He said, well, you run that stop sign at the end of the exit. And I was not disrespectful, but I argued with the best of G. Gordon Liddy and every other great attorney, I did not. 
This was way before dash cams and body cams and, and sky cams and satellite cams and everything else. The bottom line is the police said I wrote a stop sign. It didn't matter what I said. And when he handed me the ticket and said, have a nice day, I wanted to say, you blankety blank, blankety blank. Well, how dare you tell me? You just wrecked my entire, I'm just telling you the honest truth. Say, well, you're a preacher. I wasn't born a preacher. <laughs> and I'm not infallible without problems. I don't do all that business anymore. But remember now, this is about four minutes before I surrendered completely to the Lord. And I've still messed up in other things in my life. He hands me the ticket. I rolled the window up. I didn't think about cranking it. I just, I thought, okay. Open up, earth. Swallow me up. My life's over. I'm going to lose my job because I just the week before got the letter from the DMV. One more ticket, you lose your license. You lose your license. I got the, the speech from my boss. You lose your job. You lose your job. I mean, no more hot rods, no more anything. I said, it's all over. It's all over. I laid my head on the steering wheel. Laid the head, arms crossed, began to weep, cry. And I wanted, I'd love to tell you that, boy, I mean, the joy of the Lord filled my soul. This is my exact prayer. Maybe you need to pray this prayer. Because I was like, I was just honest. I said, God, your way cannot be worse than mine. I've made a mess out of everything I've tried to do. I've rebelled against my parents. I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree, but I know that you've allowed this to happen to get my attention. And I'm going to tell you all the honest truth. Now listen to me. Because some of you may feel exactly like what I'm fixing to tell you. I felt like if I cranked that truck, pulled it down in gear, I had about here to the stop sign to go right there in front of Six Flags to turn left to go to where I, I felt like if I cranked the truck up, pulled out, and drove to, toward that stop sign, I wouldn't make it. I really felt that. I felt like something would happen if it was a meteor, if it was what the earth swallowing me up. I don't know, but I really felt in my spirit I would never make it to that stop sign. I'd go to heaven, but as the old song says, I would have gone empty-handed. I, I said, so God, whatever you want from me, this is what I said, have at it. Then I cranked the truck. Then I drove off. I do have a driver's license. I didn't lose them. And within a month, I left working there, and a man had, I was delivering auto parts to at First Baptist Church of Atlanta, said, hey, would you like a job? Six months later, I was making the cassette tapes for In Touch Ministries, listening to Charles Stanley eight hours a day, five days a week. Oh, did I tell you it was twice as much money? When we accept God's burden on our life, God will open doors. And that don't mean that he's going to double your pay. It doesn't mean all your problems. Listen, consequences don't. I still had to face consequences. Insurance, more insurance, more all these other things. But one thing about it is God was blessing in the midst of that burden. 
See, we need to be honest with others. Be real. Just be real. We, we feel like we've got to be a certain way. You know what the greatest compliment I've ever received? Is people meeting me in a dove field or meeting me at a ball game or meeting me at the mall or something and say, well, you're just real. You, you, you're the same as you are when you preach. That's the greatest compliment I could ever be given. You know, every once in a while I can wax eloquent and go into my Billy Graham voice and say, but God. Becky says I say about three words different. Don't start. <laughs> Nehemiah was just real. Let people know your heart. You want to blow your kid's mind? Tell them your heart. Stop thinking you got to be big and tough all the time. Just tell them your heart. I waited too long to figure some of that out. Tell them when they're little. Tell them when you hurt. Tell them when you're broken. Tell them what's on your heart. Tell them. Don't just say, I don't like you doing this. Tell them why. That it breaks your heart knowing it's bad patterns for future behavior. Let people see your heart. This doesn't mean you have a license to whine. Go around, you know, some people just need to take them a bag of cheese everywhere they go. Y'all get that later. Listen, be strategic. You know what he said? He said before he ever said anything to the king, he took the cup. You know what that means? He put his life in jeopardy again. Took a sip to make sure that king wasn't poisoned when the king called for his cup and he went. He was honest with him. He was honest. He was about doing what God had called him to do. He took the cup. People need to see God's people care about God's business. If they see your vehicle anywhere else but the house of God, when they know Christians go to church, it's like David. You don't know why King David got in trouble? It's because he was where he wasn't supposed to be. He was at his home when it was time that kings go out to war. When God says it's time for God's people to come worship, then you ought to be here worshiping or somewhere. Your neighbors are noticing. You start skipping out on prayer meeting for long. Sunday nights don't mean anything. I just got too much time and I got little kids. You think all of us adults that come on Sunday night, Wednesday night, never faced any, you know, our kids were just born adults. You think that the school, it, it may have been different, but it's the same. Playing ball, coaching ball, running from here to there and there to there. We lived on Little Caesar's pizzas for about seven years. Because we'd get done with a ball field, which was usually about four hours every night. And the only thing left open, is, and it was $5, we stopped Little Caesar's. And every other parent from the ball field was lined up. It was the number one restaurant in Andalusia, Alabama. I'm not joking. Look, just be honest with other people. People need to see God's people care about God's business. Divine, listen, get this. Divine appointments bring divine accomplishments. Divine appointments become divine. Divine accomplishments. Once again, he said, 
Why are you so sad? Why is everything terrible? All the walls are broken down, all this. But at the end of verse 8, he says, And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Be honest. And then be, be prepared. Be prepared. He said in verses 7 through 11, Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the river that we may convey them over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which pertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted it. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. And the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Listen, be prepared for the journey. Plan for it. Plan for the future. We are doing our children at Eastside a disservice if we do not look forward and see and pray and perceive and plan for the future. We don't do things the way we used to do. We've got a QR code in the bulletin so that you don't even have to fill out a visitor's card with an actual ink pen or real live lead pencil. You can take your phone, scan it, it pop up, fill out your information, and hit submit, and it'll come to us. And all you older people say, Man, that bunch of ice crazy. Yeah, young people's not saying that. And if all we do is cater to what my generation and up, you know what? I'm one of those okay boomer guys. I'm the last boomer, 1964. If my kids really want to get on my bad side, let them call me okay boomer. Because they're saying, we know y'all old, just shut up. That's what okay boomer means if y'all didn't know that. Well, I'm a boomer, and I'm very proud of that. But because, but behind the generation for me, I consider it the next greatest generation. But you know what? We're not going to reach people with just paper hymns, paper bulletins, and stuff. They operate their entire life online. And if we're going to reach them, then we've got to reach them online. We've got to reach them so through social media. Just last night, someone posted from our church, you're invited, come to church. And then people started sharing it before others are sharing it. People are liking it. Every time you see that little blue thumbs up or the little red heart, somebody read it. They read, Eastside wants me to come to church. We are living in a post-digital age. We're living at the speed of light. And if we go to sleep on this generation for one second, we'll be 10 years behind before we know it. And in another 10 years, we'll lock the door because everybody will have died. It's happening every day in America. Churches are closing their doors. Plan for the journey. Plan for it. How are we going to do that? Know God's word. As a parent, know how to answer your children. As a friend, know how to encourage them. As a believer, know that people need Jesus. Plan for the needs. He said right there in verse 8, Hey, 
give me a letter that I can get wood and I can get metal. We can build the gates. We can do all this. Once again, Alan Redpath said, the power and motive of all Christian work is never what I see ahead, but is that indescribable, undefinable pressure of the Holy Spirit that has put me there. God's got a plan for Eastside. And over the next several weeks, we're going to begin to unfurl that, unpack it, reveal it, and see where God would head us. But I can only tell you as your pastor what I believe God's big, broad picture is. you got to color in the squares. we got to plan for the needs. How are we going to reach the next generation, the Kennedys and the Hartleys? How are we going to reach the Aubreys and Annas? How are we going to minister to these young two, three, four-year-olds, those that will be born this year or just born. We've got a plan for it. And so we are going to be looking at that need and looking at it honestly. But then don't be surprised by answers or adversity. He said, and God granted the request. But then he said in verse 10, when Sambalai, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, when they heard about it, it grieved them. It just ticked them off. That there was a there had come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. People's not going to like you serving God. Your spouse may not like it. That you're, why you spend so much time up there at the church? Why you got to always be the one staying around moving tables and vacuuming? Why you got to be the one that gets there so early to cook? Because that's what God told me to do. Why do you have to teach? Why can't we just go? I get tired of going to Sunday school. Suck it up, buttercup. Don't tear down your family member because you choose to be unfaithful. They choose to be faithful. Pay attention. Can I tell you something? If you're being faced with adversity... You're not the target God is. It's because your faith is a threat to theirs. Don't be surprised by God's answers in the world's adversity. Listen, go when, where, and how He sends you. Go. Be. And do what God would have you do. I'm going to stop. I got two more points. We'll deal with it next week. If we're not, we'll all be in heaven, or some of us won't be. And so as they come to the instruments, I want to I ask you right now, before you quit, this is the absolute, and parents understand, this I can preach over any children anytime. They never bother me. But during the invitation, we can wait, we can hold it through that time. Because anything we do may interfere with spirit working in somebody's life. This is the most sacred moment of the day. And it may be the most sacred moment of someone's life. You don't know who's sitting around you. Yeah, I do. Yeah, but you don't know them. Jesus does. Can I tell you today, Jesus knows you. And some of you are carrying the load as a father. Praise God. 
work hard, work many hours providing for your kid's future, that's great. That's commendable. Man who doesn't work is worse than an infidel. But if your burden is your faith, it's time that your burden is born out of your faith. That you place your faith, hope, and trust in one and one alone. And his name is Jesus. Jesus will make you the father God's called you to be. He'll make you the mother, the brother, the sister, the daughter, the son, the grandparent. He'll make you the neighbor, the co-worker. He'll make you the fireman, the police officer, the nurse, the doctor, the pharmacist, the farmer. He will make you whatever, whoever you are, educators. You want to be what God wants you to be, then trust him as your Lord and Savior. It's a great thing the president said the other night that in America, we believe in the freedom of religion and we're going to put prayer back in public schools. That's great, but we already doing it. We're teaching our public school kids in Claxton and teaching them at Pinewood, thus saith the Lord. Amen, parents. At both schools, they're getting it. We pray. I go to I go to the public school and do Bible study. We have several on staff here that does chapel and teaches Bible classes from Eastside. Don't tell me we don't care about both schools and all kids. I don't. I used to have a shirt that said I bleed black and yellow. The truth is, I don't. I don't bleed green and orange. I bleed red. And it's not for Georgia. I had to go on and make a caveat. But it's not for Alabama either. It's because I was born a broke wreck of a human. As David, I was born for a few days in a life full of trouble. 1972, the reality of my sin overwhelmed me. And I knew that if I left there that night lost, I would die and go to hell. And I came all the way from the back row and came. I did, my parents didn't do it. They came once I came. But listen, they didn't pray me into heaven. My grandparents, I got a grandfather that was a pastor, preacher. Other granddaddy was a deacon, godly grandmothers. But between me and God, I was lost. And I had to ask him to forgive me my sins. Come into my life, cleanse me, save me, and make me whole. That's what you got to do today. So without hesitation, if you're lost, come ask the Lord to save you. If you're saved out of the will of God, come ask God to restore you. If you're saved out of the will of God, not baptized, come and tell me. I need to be baptized and tell the world. You need to join at Eastside. This is where your burden's at. Come. Come to Jesus. Stand and come. Come. You give life. You are love.